I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Goner. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. It is April 2023. And to think, three years ago, April 2020, I began this podcast journey, not even knowing who would show up, who would come to listen, who would come to be interviewed, let alone knowing that I would continue. And I know the they say once you make it past three, then it's like the percentage of people staying as a podcast go down and then you get to episode 17 or 18 and you're like the small percentage of these podcasts that stay alive and don't stop. And, you know, we're at almost at 160. And to think three years ago, I don't think I would have believed me if I said in three years, you'll be at episode 160. To me, that feeling is, I want to get something across because I was picturing like celebrating this moment, this month of my accomplishment. I have never missed a week. And I've said that many times, but I feel like when you learn consistency in anything, I mean, it's like I go to Pilates every day. I go for my run every day. I do every, I'm very consistent, but that's when you see the results and you get that feeling of accomplishment in life. And you know, as a mom and how I try to be the role model or the person that they can look up to because your kids do what you do. They don't do what you say. So, you know, being that person is so important. But my point is, is celebrate your wins. Learn to be that person that when you get to a thing, to something in life that you feel so proud of, celebrate it. Because First of all, it raises your vibration. It raises everything in your life when you celebrate. But yeah, I'm just so, I'm so proud of getting to this point in this podcast and learning what I know. I remember the beginning being in the (laughs) Presley's closet recording and printing out the intros and, you know, reading and trying not to read and putting post-it notes so I didn't forget, but you know, it's just consistency in anything in life. My main thing is celebrate, celebrate when you get those wins, because it's, it's important. We're here in this life for a very short time. And it's just important to celebrate you when you feel like you've done something and accomplished it. Anyway, just thank you. And I, you know, I I even reached a milestone too. I had, you know, I look at my insights on my downloads and I hit over 500,000 downloads in three years. That's halfway to a million. <laughs> and I will get there. And I, you know, I look at my viewers and where they're from. Well, the first is United States. The second place is Bangladesh, then United Kingdom, then Canada, Australia, Germany, Netherlands, Singapore, Italy, New Zealand. And then it goes on. But 
those are the main countries that are listening. And now, I mean, who in the heck would have thought people from Bangladesh would be listening to my podcast? So it's those kind of things that you, when you do those things in life and encourage your kids to, you know, take that step out of the box, do something new, be creative. And I just say that's when the magic happens is when you say yes more. And I, you know, quote Tony Robbins, you know, you, he always said, kick through that door, you know, just go. And he always is like yelling, say yes. And it's so true because when you do say yes more and you do kick through that door and you just go without the thought of what, what if it doesn't work or the fear that comes to your mind and not even going there and just knowing and trusting that even if it isn't the right road, you will get there. It'll just be a little detour, but you're going to learn something. And that's the point of anything. If I could be an example of starting a podcast with not any knowledge of anything (laughs) and getting to this place and having courses now and helping kids and teenagers and families, I never would have dreamed that. I never would have dreamed of putting this podcast out and having people respond to me saying that it's changed their life or it's made them happy or whatever it is. I never would have dreamed that. So I did say yes three years ago and here I am. And I just want to thank you all so, so much for being my loyal listeners and the people that comment and tell me and text me and say they loved it or whatever it is. But I just, I just want to take that time to look at April as my month of anniversary of Uncover Your Magic. (laughs) So today's guest is Christian De La Huerta, De La Huerta. (laughs) He's so sweet and amazing. And I learned so much from him. I know you are going to love him. He was such a wealth of information and I read his book. He sent me his book and it was amazing. And it had like assignments after every chapter, which I love that I could put in my journal, but it's called Awakening the Soul of Power, How to Live Heroically and Set Yourself Free. He's into breath work, but we'll talk a lot about where he's been in his life and he's been doing this for over 30 years. I really connected with him. I really think you will too. But um, let me tell you a little bit about his background before I bring this amazing man on the show. Christian Della Huerta. He has 30 years of experience. He is a sought after spiritual teacher, personal transformation coach, and leading voice in the breathwork community. He has traveled the world offering inspiring and transformational retreats, combining psychological and spiritual teachings with lasting and life-changing effects. An award-winning, critically acclaimed author, he has spoken at numerous universities, conferences, and even on the TEDx stage. His website is www.soulfulpower.com. He even has a quote from Gloria Estefan. Remember her? It says, a bomb for the soul of anyone searching for truth and answers to life's difficult questions. Gloria Estefan. Anyway, thank you again. I um, appreciate you and love you and enjoy this episode. And I will see you next week. Thank you again. So please welcome Christian Delawarta to the show. Hey, Welcome. 
Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy uh, to be here. You're so welcome. And coming from Marin County in San Francisco, where I love and have been many times, you know, I received your book and I know you've written another book, what, 20 years before this one. Yeah. yeah. And I know this book was festering inside of you and 2020 made just was like, okay, Christian, it's time to finish the book. And I think 2020 for a lot of us, it was, it's time to go inward, finish a book, write a book. I started a podcast and then started my passion of coaching and helping children. And we realized certain benchmarks in life when at the time people look at it as a tragedy or, mm -hmm. you know, we're quarantined in this pandemic, but we created magic during that time. Yeah. You know, for me too, like, I really appreciate your saying that without minimizing the tragedy of it, right? No, so exactly. All, all the death and the economic crisis and all that. But for me, it was a blessing. Right. I went from a hundred thousand miles on an airplane yearly to nothing. So, so the pandemic, like, forced me to sit my butt down and get this book that had been brewing in my head for 10 years and also to create virtual programming, which I've known for years I needed to do. But I was, you know, from one retreat to the next, another speaking engagement, I never really like land grounded it and landed enough to do it and forced my hand. My income went from, you know, 30 years of doing retreats to zilch overnight wow. practically. So, so it forced my hand to develop the virtual programming. When you had that moment of realization that these retreats and these in-person events that you were having for, and really that was your, your livelihood, did you go into fear mode or because I know you now from reading your book, <laughs> because most people, probably 99.9% .9 of the population went into fear mode, but knowing you and what you believe in life and looking at the magic in life and knowing that everything is working for your highest good. At that moment, did you ever have a moment of that where you had the fear come up? Yeah, that is so insightful, Ashley. Nobody has asked me that. And I got to say that that was the other gift and blessing for me of the pandemic. And this didn't happen overnight. This has been a, long, a journey to get to this place. But I remember being in the last retreat in March 2020, which was a women in power retreat almost to the year. I mean, almost like the, the weekend where I'm doing my next live retreat. Uh, here in Marin County. And it took me till that was in March, it took me to January of the following year to launch the first online programming, I had to create it, I didn't know what I was doing in virtual. Mm -hmm. programming. It's a whole different animal in terms of how you do it, of how you hold a group of how you promote, it's all different. Right. And I have to tell you that I didn't have a single moment of fear, not one. Huh. Yeah. But I, I know that because I know you from reading this book. And, you know, when you, when you realize, I want you to go into that because you do talk about limiting beliefs and being triggered and living life without that living free. And I have discovered and looked in the mirror and understand, you know, whatever is triggering me is inside of me. Right. So once you have that, I mean, I love helping people like you do in that way. Right. Let's go back to why that is something so important to you and why you really are passionate about teaching people how to clear those triggers. And, you know, why is that something that you so strongly believe? Is it from your childhood? 
did it start back there? Do you want to go kind of how you were raised? That's a really great question. And I want to say to a caveat that I know self-doubt. I know fear of, you know, many times in my life, I've slid in last minute, not knowing how I was going to pay the bills or pay the rent. And so it's been a process. And here's how I think of it for, for all of us, not just for me. You know, we're living in the most critical juncture in the, in the evolution of humanity. The planet will be fine. It might take millions of years, but life will find balance and homeostasis. Consciousness will continue evolving. Maybe, maybe at the end, it's an enlightened cockroach planet. <laughs> Whether we make it, hmm, right? That's what's, that's what's up. That's, we're just now beginning to witness what we have unleashed on our environment. And so when I look at it from that perspective, and one of us makes a choice that's going to further not only our own process of healing and transformation and evolution, but consequently, when that ripples out, and the number of people that will be impacted from that, like the universe has a vested interest in each one of us stepping into our power, stepping into our purpose. And if anybody watching this has the slightest suspicion that they have work to do as teachers, as healers, as activists for change, like this is it. All hands on deck. This is right. the time that we've been waiting for. Right. Do you look at it like we were all, you know, these souls and waiting to incarnate during this time so we could, we were the light and we, the people like you could move the people into this light or, you know, this empowerment feeling of where this, where we are going? You know, I don't have any evidence of that, but it resonates with me. What I've read, you know, some of the, I don't know if they're channel materials or what, that people tend to incarnate in pods and in soul families for particular purposes. That kind of, it resonates for me. It makes sense to me. And in my case, to go back to your other question, I've always had that sense of, of service, that sense of even urgency of wanting to make a difference in the world. And it's manifested differently as my own understanding evolved. So I started out in, in a very Catholic family. And so at first I thought I wanted to be a priest. And, and there was that part of me, with the, what they call a vocation, that, that desire to serve others, to serve the sacred as I've understood it at different points in my life. Um, and then, you know, when I realized that that religion didn't have room for me, I thought, you know, my dad was a psychiatrist, my degrees in psychology. So that was my next way of expressing that I was going to get a PhD in psychology. Until I discovered breathwork, and, and that was the, the last expression of it. I jumped tracks, never went for the PhD, but, I, but the driver, I think, is the same. That's what drives me. Okay, let's go to breathwork, because I know yeah. your TEDx talk is on breathwork, and that is, you believe, I have done breathwork, oh gosh, I was probably 20 years ago, I start, I met somebody, I had a day spa and she wanted to work for me and she wanted to give me a session of her breath work. And I, I look back now thinking, you know, I didn't even know that, you know, no one was talking breath work. I've interviewed a few people on this podcast in the last three years about breath work. So it's like now it's common The yeah. you know, there's certain words now that we use that 20 years or even 10 years ago, we wouldn't use on a regular basis, or it wouldn't even sound, but breath work is kind of this common, you know, and people understand that, but that is like your, the core of what you believe in, I think, right? It's my main healing tool. I've yet to come across. And for me, it's been 33 years since I breathed for the first time in this way. 
And we should say too that breathwork is a broad umbrella term. There's a lot of different modalities, a lot of different practices. Like anybody who's been to a yoga class, you know, you've done breathwork, you've done pranayama, and there's different breathing techniques for different purposes. Some to relax, some to sleep better, some to energize and bring focus. The breathwork that we're talking about is longer. You do it for you breathe in a certain way for about an hour, an hour and a half, and amazing stuff happens. I have yet to come across anything that heals past trauma as quickly and as effectively. And it heals at multiple levels, not only emotionally and mentally, but also psychologically, spiritually, even physically. And believe me, I know that sounds too good to be true. That just from breathing, not only can all this stuff happen, but you can have some of the most amazing, profound spiritual experiences that I've ever had and that many, many people have had. I often hear people tell me, you know, I got to the same place that I did on a sacred plant medicine journey. Mm -hmm. I've had meditators tell me, you know, I've been sitting on a meditation cushion for 20 years, 30 years to have that moment of no mind. So it's sort of a, a shortcut to those high meditative states. It doesn't replace the many benefits of, of having a regular meditation practice, but it kind of makes it easier to access those states of being. And it's still boggles my mind that just from breathing, all that can happen. But I can't argue with the results. It works. What's the science behind that? Like what, why would it, why is that working? You know, and, and that's also a great and very insightful question. They haven't really studied what's happening in the body, what's happening in the brain when we breathe in the circular connected way. So much research on what's happening in the brain when we meditate what's happening in the body, the, you know, the multiple benefits in terms of health, even in terms of performance in the business place. They're just now beginning to study in the same way what happens when we breathe in this way. You know, when you say it's similar to the plant medicine, psychedelics, you know, I remember thinking it almost gets me to, when I've done it, not just that one time, but I have done that in the, my past few years. But I get to that place where I, I have never done plant medicine, but I could feel like, whoa, like you really get that, whatever. <laughs> I've really never done drugs, so I don't know, but I can imagine the feeling because I get that like lightheaded yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of out of body experience. Yes, yes. And that's one of the theories, by the way, as to what's happening when we breathe in this way is that the body releases DMT which is one of the active ingredients in ayahuasca. And it's a psychotropic uh, and entheogen, which by the way, in the word entheogen, which is one of the words for hallucinogenics, means the God within. So that's why a lot of people have those experiences of, of, hmm. of oneness and, and connected to, to the all that people feel like they're seeing through, through the fabric, the matrix of reality. And I think you know, in my language, my way of understanding, I think what's happening is that when we breathe in this way, we're popping out of the, the ego identity, you know, the false sense of self, the separate sense of I-ness, this is Christian, that's Ashley, which is, I mean, so much to say about that, but, but it's both a leap in evolution. As far as we know, we're the only species that has that sense of self, of separate personality. And it's also the source of all our suffering. So I think what happens when we breathe is we pop out of that sense of separate identity and mm -hmm. we have a glimpse of, of that belonging, of, of connected, of, you know, people often report connecting with loved ones who are no longer in body, who have passed, 
people often report having you know divine visitations ganesha or mother mary or the buddha show up often in in sessions and the healing part you know when people i just believe that we're moving toward healing is going to have a different definition and it already is that going that way but you know when you think of the simplicity of breathing and that's we all breathe <laughs> you know the healing aspect of that and what have you seen like miracles happen through breath yeah, work so many so many but let's talk about a physical healing one because those those are for me the hardest to to understand and to explain how that works and so many stories that I have of physical healing, but this is still my favorite one. Oh, good. My teacher, the woman that I learned this from, when she did it for the first time, she was doing a one-on-one, -on -one, a private session. So she was lying on the floor, breathing on her yoga mat and her blanket and all. And at some point she heard the facilitator snap her fingers. For some reason, it triggered a memory. She'd forgotten about this. When she was five, she got into an upset, an argument with her daddy. I forget what it was about. But she got in a huff and she was going to run away from home and she got on her little bike and started, started pedaling, hit a pothole or something, fell over, broke her nose, was black and blue for like three weeks. At the end of the session, she turned to the woman and she goes, wow, how did you know to snap your fingers at that moment? It triggered this memory I'd forgotten about. And then I made all these connections about how that incident had impacted all my relationships with men and my uh -huh. ability to trust men. And the woman was, I didn't snap my fingers. As they kept on talking, what they figured out she'd heard was the breaking of the bone. Oh, wow. The next day, 45, you know, 40 years later at 45, she got up in the morning and looked in the mirror, black and blue all over. Wow. Again. Not for three weeks, but for a few days while the body, you know, healed itself, corrected whatever was off there. And how that happens from breathing no wow. Clue. No clue. But here's what helps me understand it. And it's not from a scientific perspective, it's more from a spiritual perspective. In most spiritual traditions, the same word, one word can mean breath or spirit, depending on the context. Hmm. And even in some secular languages, so, so like in Hawaiian, ha means breath and spirit. From the Latin root pneuma, you know, which meant lung from which we get pneumonia, it also meant soul. From the mm -hmm. Latin spirare, from that root, we get both respiration and inspiration or expiration. And on and on and on. It's many, many examples of that. Oh, oh that's so, I love that. Okay, let, I want to move into your book just because it's kind of fresh in my mind right now. All right. So starting this book, the name of it is Awakening the Soul of Power. And then the subtitle is Calling All Heroes. That's the series title. Oh, yes. The series title. Yeah. But the sub it is How to Live Heroically and Set Yourself Free. Exactly. So explain even the, the title. Because I want to know what that where you came up with the power and the soul. Like, where does that give me that? Well, you're asking a really good question because nobody has asked me that either. Like, And that title, Awakening the Soul of Power. It was the only the second time. Now it's happened three times in my life, but for only the second time in my entire life where I was sitting in meditation and I actually heard audible words. And I didn't even know what that was. I thought that's the soul of power. I got the URL, forgot about it. A month later, I had sent um, 
a book proposal to a literary agent that I was working with in New York. And she goes to me, yeah, I want to work with you, but I want to see some of these marketing ideas implemented before we even pitch it to a publisher. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a book proposal, but it's, you know, it's like a huge term paper with a marketing analysis. What else is out there that's similar? How is this one different? Why am I the person to write this? It's taken me three months to write the book proposal. So I was like, putting out the brakes because I was spending the advance in my mind already. And then it set me into a bit of a a crisis. Like, all right, well, if this is not it, what would I really want to write about? If I weren't writing for an advance, what would I really write about? Mm-hmm. And it took me a few days to for it to land. And then it was like one of those forehead to hand to the forehead moments, like one of the light bulb just went up. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. I've been saying for years that the single most important thing that needs to happen in the world is the empowerment of women. And not to put women up on a pedestal, not to idealize women. Women also abuse power. And certainly not to give women more crap that they have to do and clean up in this world and this mess that we have made. It's because as a species, as a world, we have been running so off kilter, so off balance, where it comes between, to, to the balance between the masculine and the feminine energies that course through all of us because they course through all of creation. And in this little planet, we, somewhere along the way, we decided that the feminine was weakness. And I mean, that so many faulty assumptions about that. But I believe that when women are in 50% of power in this world, we're going to have a very different relationship to war and poverty and hunger, how we treat the environment, education, social justice, all of it. And so for me, it's, I think of it strategically. Like what is one thing that I could focus on that will then ripple out and impact some of these challenges that we're facing? And that's what I land on. Why women? Why would you folk my like Mother Earth? I thinking like, you know, I I know that the feminine, like what we've been going through, the wake up <laughs> in this world that we have been experiencing has been a lot of that. And Precisely. yeah. And so when I see this book written in 2020 and where you were seeing it go, I mean, it hadn't even really exploded to where we are today, three years later. What is that? Like, why? Why were you so focused on the masculine and the feminine and how the world was, it wasn't working? Because I'd been thinking about that for years. And that's what got me thinking about power to begin with. Because most of us have an ambivalent, maybe even conflicted relationship to power. Part of us wants it. And part of us is afraid of it. And I think what we fear is that if we really stepped into our power, we really stepped into our full potential that other people wouldn't be able to handle it and that we might end up rejected and alone and no fun. Who wants that? I think we also fear that we might abuse it. And no wonder how many abuses of power have each one of us witnessed countless, countless times throughout our lives. And then on top of that, we've been conditioned to believe that power is bad. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Who wants that? Who wants to be corrupted? And so when you add to that mix, and by the way, what they didn't tell us about that quote is that Lord Acton was speaking specifically about political power, not the personal power that that you and I are talking about now. So when you add to that mix, the fact that we have labeled the emotions weakness, another completely faulty assumption, the emotions aren't strength, they're not weakness, they're not good, they're not bad, they're just energies, like everything else in, in creation. 
But when we put all that to, into a mix, what happens is that we end up giving away our power. How many times have we said yes when inside? It's really not okay with us. It's really a no. But in order to appease, in order to not rock the boat of a relationship too much, in order to, because we fear abandonment or rejection or for a variety of reasons, we override our true feelings, our preferences, our desires, our dreams, and we settle. We settle for less. We settle for an illusion of acceptance, a false sense of security, and morsels, crumbs of pseudo-love. So part of the way that we navigate this problem is that it's by realizing that there's a different way. Like we've gotten confused and, and there are different types of power and relation relating to power. And so I talk about worldly power, the way that the world relates to power, which is, you know, people who have money, people who, who are famous, people who are high up in some kind of hierarchy, whether it's the, the corporate ladder or any other institution. But the thing about all those kinds of powers is that they're external, they're outside of us, which makes them fickle. Here today, gone tomorrow. That worldly power is also always has an agenda. It's always trying to grab something for itself. And it's arrogant. There's a sense of, I mean, it's overcompensating for not feeling good enough, but there's a sense of blowing itself up to seem bigger than it is. In contrast, what I call spiritual power or soulful power is about service. It's about making a difference. So I think of, of, of you know, the servant leader archetype. And I think of, you know, and it's humble. It, it doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. And nobody can give it to us. Nobody can take it away. And so I think of a Gandhi or a Gandalf, if you're into Lord of the Rings, you know, in their simple monastic robes, their <laughs> sandal feet from looking at them, you would never know how much power they hold right. until it's needed. And then get out of the way. Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees when it was at its highest point in terms of global reach. And he did that without ever shooting a gun or landing a single punch. That's power. Right. Oh, wow. Gosh, just the way you can communicate your words and you can just, you're just like this natural born writer and speaker. I see why you have been doing this for 30 years. <laughs> you know, Although I got to tell you that that hasn't always been that way. I mean, I've always written, but speaking, oh my God, I was terrified of really? speaking in public. Oh my God. I had a 4.0 in high school, except for one B my last <laughs> semester. And I didn't set out to do this consciously, but looking back on it, I know that I did this because back then there was no way, there was no possible way that I could have stood up in front of an auditorium filled with hundreds of people to deliver the valedictorian speech. There's no way. Huh. I just was nowhere near close to being ready to do that. And so I sabotaged my my own GPA so that I wouldn't have to do that. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. Huh. And, and flash forward, you know, I've and I've spoken all over the world. I've spoken at conferences and churches and the TEDx stage, which I say that only to convey the message that all that stuff, all those fears, all those doubts that we have, all that can be healed and it can be overcome and it can be transcended. Mm-hmm. Oh, so much. Okay. So I'm a mother of two daughters, 14 years old and 16 uh -huh. years old. Uh -huh. I was reading your, the retreat that's coming up with relationships. You work with marriages, relationships, mm -hmm. right? 
So my oldest went on her first date the other day. (laughs) It was an hour and a half dinner and it was, you know, very sweet and came home and it made me start to think. And also what struck a chord was how I used to be in a relationship when I was her, you know, in my twenties, you know, how the power of a man, you know, and that subservient female and gosh, what you were saying a few minutes ago, I was like, oh my gosh, but why I mother the way I do to empower these girls to have a voice and to have worth and, you know, to have this relationship with themselves of how much they honor who they are. And I just, I like, I mean, explain to me, like, because you work with these couples in, and I was reading about your, that retreat you're having in Marin, it's coming up this weekend, right? starting okay, Thursday. Yeah. Okay. Thursday night we start. Yeah. So what, what is the draw? Like, what do you want people to get from that? Like, what are, I mean, I'm sure it's a bunch of different people are coming there for different reasons, but what is your passion in that? Like, why do you choose relationships? And great question too. I mean, for one thing, I think it's where most of us tend to give away our power. And it's the retreat is for all relationships. And and I mean, you didn't you didn't even have to be in relationship to come to the retreat. It's for for people who, if you are in relationship and you've got those basic human needs for companionship and intimacy and family and sex and all that good stuff, then what? Like, how do you use that frame, that container of the relationship to speed up, to fast track our own process of healing? and transformation and and evolution, which is ultimately, in my belief, what we're here for. Right. And if you're not in a relationship and would like to be, how do we identify the subconscious ways in which we sabotage our relationships before we even get started by Mm -hmm. attracting the wrong people, by falling for people who are not a match, people who are not available. You know, they live on the other side of the world or they're already with someone else or they're just not there. So we dive into what's going on and clear those patterns. It's, and it's a beautiful combination of understanding from a psychological and psycho-spiritual perspective what's happening and why we're doing what we're doing. And then when we do the multiple breathwork sessions, it clears those patterns at the body cellular level. So it's a really powerful combination. And, you know, I think we all struggle with relationships. I th- well, they're our biggest teacher, don't you think? Yes, if you do them consciously. Right. If you do them consciously, then if you hold them in that way that you're talking about, then there's no failed relationship. As long as we're growing and learning, then, you know, there's no rule that says that it has to be till, you know, death do us part. Right. You believe like if it comes to a place, yeah, marriage is, you know, if it's we're here, it's like, it's not, I've already kind of outgrown you. It's time to move on to the next. That's all to you natural. That is my measurement for how long to stay, right? Because we can't really go always by what we're feeling because every relationship is going to have peaks and they're going to have valleys. And sometimes when we're in, going through or navigating a rough patch, good stuff is happening. We're, we're learning about ourselves. We're learning about each other. We're learning how to navigate power struggles. We're learning how to, how to get clear about what we want and what we don't want, what's negotiable, what's not negotiable. That's all good stuff. To me, how I know that it's time to move on is when growth is not happening, when we're stagnant. You know, I'm friends with my exes. The love doesn't have to die. Right. Right. The form of the relationship can change. 
but the love itself can go on. It right. just changes form. In a different form, right? Yeah. On another subject, when you were talking about the way you describe ego, like on a baseball field, and there's just a yeah. baseball in the middle. That's a really great metaphor or whatever you want to call it to describe how you view the ego. Will yeah. you explain that to everyone? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's because it makes it easily graspable because the you know, there's a lot of confusion about what the ego is. You know, most of us who know the word will think arrogance, inflated sense of self. And it is that for sure. But it's a whole lot more than that. And then if we took Psych 101 in college, we might think, oh, Freud's model of personality, the id, the ego, the superego. And, and that's not really what we're talking about. There's aspects of it that apply. But the way that I'm talking about ego is more derived from Eastern teachings. And it's the sense of self is what we were talking about earlier is the sense of individual personality. This is Christian. That's Ashley over there. And again, it's ultimately an illusion, both helpful and the source of all our suffering. There's some theories that the dolphins and the whales and the elephants and the higher primates have a sense of self, but we don't know for sure. Like we don't know what's going on inside of their heads. We can see some of the experiments. Well, you know, we've seen the YouTube videos where you put a dog or a cat in front of a mirror and they interact with that image, the reflection, as if it was another dog or cat. They've done experiments where they'll put ash on the shoulder of like a chimp or a gorilla, and they put them in, fr in front of a mirror. At some point, they'll go like this, and they'll wipe it off, so they get that that's them hmm. um, in the image. But we don't really know. We can't jump from that to having a sense of self, you know, which is what the word ego means in Latin. It means I. So the ego is that sense of I-ness. And so the metaphor is if you put a baseball in the center of a stadium, that's what the ego is. Who we are is actually the stadium. Right. And we've allowed this tiny, tiny, tiny part of who we are to think that it is all who we are and to make really important consequential choices from its small, limited, and always fear-based perspective. So not a good strategy for life. When you are dealing with your ego and you have these, the expectations is something that you talk about, like victimhood. Will you go into that? Because I have clients that I work with that love the victimhood and, you know, live in that place and don't know how to, that's such a comfort to them. And I, you know, to get them out of that, out of that comfort zone into realizing, no, it's not about being the victim. You're really going for the jugular, aren't you? <laughs> I am. Yeah, I think that's what, I mean, 30 years of doing retreat, 33 years, I think that's what people struggle with the most is letting go of that victim consciousness. And it's not easy. It's hard to let go of that. And that's one of the expressions of the ego. I think it is the deepest, most, most core one. So the ego is, is the part of us that takes everything personally, that reacts and then regrets. Because we somebody says something that hurts us and then just spout something or do something and then the adrenaline, you know, gets reabsorbed and then we start going into, into regretting. Oh my God, I can't believe I said that. And in some cases we start doing the self-flagellation, you know, the self-punishment. I'm such a bad person, which is also ego, right? So there's like layers and layers of, of ego. Right. It's, it's also a control freak. It's a micromanager. It, it wants to control everybody and everything around us. It's that what the Buddhists call the monkey mind. It's just that inner chatter that, that drives us crazy. 
because from the moment we get up in the morning before our feet have even hit the floor, it's already going. Right. We got something to say about someone, about everyone and everything. And it's stuck in the past, ruminating about a past that is gone and will never come to be again, or projecting into the future, fantasizing, hallucinating about a future that may or may not come to be. So it has a really hard time being in the only thing we know is real. That is not a memory or a figment of our imaginations, which is the present. Right. And, and so those are just glimpses of what the ego mind is. The one that you're pointing to, the victimization, here's how I think about that. If we're holding ourselves like the victim is the poor me, woe is me. Like if only, you know, mom had done this or daddy hadn't done that or the teacher or the minister or society, or sexism, or racism, or, or homophobia, if only, right? And not to deny that those things are, are don't exist, not to deny right. that the system is set up unfairly. But if we're holding on to that, if only, then I would be happy, we're just giving our power away, again, and often to the perpetrator. So the same thing with forgiveness, you know, that's one of those, I'm not dogmatic about many things. And I guess I'm not dogmatic, really, because if I'm shown a different way about this, I'll consider it, I'll look at it. But where it comes to forgiveness, and where it comes to the victim consciousness, I don't see a way around it. If you want to be free, you've got to let those go. Mm -hmm. Because as long as we're holding somebody over the fire for what they did or didn't do, our hand is also getting burnt. Right. So I just don't see a way around that. Mm -mm. I don't either. You know, you mentioned, I'm trying to get all your nuggets in this hour. <laughs> I'm going from one thing, but I, I was thinking of Illusions by Richard Bach. And you were oh, talking, yes. uh, you know, and I love that book. That was one of I my, love that book. <laughs> that's probably, I would say that's probably one of my favorite books, but you do reference that book and it, is it the letting go? What was the reference yeah. of that? Yes, I love that. Go. Will you share yeah. that? Because that's the opposite of what the ego does, right? The ego right. Is holding on and the ego is anything that signifies change, it's threatening to the ego. Even if it's good change, even if it's change in a empowering, liberating direction, anything that signifies change to the ego, it's going to be threatening. And so the story goes that, you know, it's a, it's a village of river people who live at the bottom of the river and they're hanging on for dear life to, to you know, logs and rocks and boulders. and at some point, one of them says, I can't live this way anymore. I can't, this is like, this is no way to live. There's grabbing on and being buffeted by the, by the current. And their friends will tell them, well, what do you mean? You can't let go. You're going to die. You're going to, who knows what's going to happen? And he goes, I know, I know, but I can't do this anymore. I can't hold on anymore. And then they pull in the, the big guns, you know, the guilt. Oh, but wait a minute. What, what about us? You can't just leave us. Um, and, and, you know, she, he goes, you know, I can't, I can't do it. And let's go. And sure enough, the budget, I mean, the current takes her and she's rolling around and hitting this and hitting that. But what happens, you know, a little further downstream, she's now floating above all that stuff. It's like, wow, this is pretty nice. This is great. Just floating down, downstream. Downstream, there's another village of river people. And one of them looks up and says, oh, look, a messiah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. gosh. It, it, it talks about the power of letting go. Letting go. Yeah. I mean, I think what we've witnessed in the last few years of this fear and holding on. And I go back to referencing being a mother because that's been one of my, that's been my 
the last 16 years of what my focus has been and trying to intentionally raise these two girls. But when I explain to them, because I love, like I do the four agreements. We talk uh-huh. about that. We That's, that's one great. of the big books we do. This book, I've shared the story about, you know, you just got to let it go. You've got to trust and surrender. I love, you know, when you learn that when you just trust and let go of those rocks, let the current take you, you know, and that's going downstream. You know, you just, instead of moving, you're trying to force it going upstream. Exactly. And how many of us have spent all our lives just fighting, swimming upstream, trying to force things to happen. Right. So much easier just to let go and let the current just take us. Right. But, you know, when you go through that, you know, even teaching judgment and acceptance and, Mm -hmm. you know, the, all those words that, you know, that block that, (laughs) I mean, judgment, not acceptance, but, you know, the expectations and, you know, the words that you use in your book that block that flow, but to remove the judgment, just that one little word, I'll be with the girls and we'll say something. And is that judgment? Are you judging? (laughs) So we're always like on the outlook, we're all looking out for each other. But once I, we realize the power in judgment Yes. and instead, I mean, we can go to anything you can judge, but gosh, can you look at that person and think, you know, you say those beautiful things in this book, like, like, look at what they, where they have come. Have I done that before? Or, you know, explain that, explain a story or something that, cause you do talk about that in your book. The judgment part of it, because all it's one of the traits of the ego too, right? I mean, we're so judgmental. The ego is, and, and the thing about the ego is like, it's a two edge knife, right? It's, it's, as harshly as we're judging others, we're judging ourselves. Right. And so the ego is that inner critic, which the, I mean, the things we tell ourselves inside of our heads, we would never say to anybody else. We're so cruel and just ruthless uh, with ourselves. That's the ego. Right. So, so it really behooves all of us to soften that edge of, of judgment. And here's a way to know, like, I, I love that you're teaching and, and you're, your daughter is so early what that is and that they, they're in that quest. It's like, wait a minute, am I judging? How do we know? Right. Is it? And here's a way that I find helpful to, to navigate that. Are we judging or is it discernment? In life, we have to discern so what's good right. for us, what's That's not. True. Do I right. want to go on that path or not? Do I want to take that job interview or go on that coffee date or not? Is this right for me? And so the difference that I've landed on, like, how do we know the difference between mm-hmm. judgment or discernment is the come from? What's driving it? The judgment has a charge on it. Oh, I hate her. I hate her hair. She should never wear her hair as though that she should never be with that person. All right. It has a charge on it. A discernment doesn't. A discernment is more like, it's more neutral. Right. It doesn't have that energy on it. And also, like, this is also how we know whether we're coming from ego, whether that voice inside of our heads is the ego or something else. Right? So the ego is, you know, I, I kid around that I went to law school, with all due respect to any lawyers watching this. Um, so it's always building a case to prove that it's right. Um, it has a charge. The ego has a charge on being right. That's the self-righteous part of us. I would never be that way. I would never do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's pulling from big words from here, from there, reaching into the past, like you've always done this, like, and, and building, you know, bringing examples to prove that it's right. Whenever we find ourselves doing that ego, no question about it. 
it's also kind of fickle and grandiose. So this week, I know exactly what I'm going to do that's going to cure cancer and bring peace to the world and solve the environmental crisis and make me a multi-gazillionaire in the process. <laughs> but the ego is also kind of lazy, right? So three months go by, it's like, oh, this isn't really working. This is, this is too much work. Uh -uh, this isn't it. This is what I'm going to do now. That's going to solve all those problems and, and make me really wealthy. So that's the fickle part of it. The other part of us, you know, call it which, which the holy texts refer to, you know, to that, that deep, quiet voice inside that we all have access to, right? And whether you call that intuition or the voice of the soul or whatever you want to call it, that sense of knowing has very simple language. Like when we think about it, it's, it's yes, mm -mm, do that. I wouldn't go there. When do we get into trouble? When we override it and we go there anyway, every single time. Right. And so, and we all have access to that. The thing is that we have to learn how to quiet that crazy monkey mind and get underneath it so that we can hear those subtle messages. How do you do that? What, any mindfulness practice? <laughs> any mindfulness? I mean, it's, it's not hard, but it takes practice. Right. Right. So, so it takes spending time alone. It takes self-observation, self-awareness, like so that we can begin to see what's going on inside of our heads and, and then learning how to quiet that mind, whether it's a formal meditation practice or whether it's just, you know, sitting here and I'm looking out the window and observing my breath. I, here's a great visual for anybody who's, who wants to take on a meditation practice. It's like I, th I think of it standing in a, in a train station except the trains are just coming in and they go right back out. They mm -hmm. come in and they go right back out. They never stop. And so that's how we relate to our thoughts, right? We, we notice the thoughts and we bring ourselves back to the present or back to the, back to the breath. Or if we have a mantra that we're repeating, all right, we bring ourselves back to that. And it's as simple as, and as difficult <laughs> as that. And sometimes we're going to catch ourselves and we're like five stations down. No big deal. Right? We just bring ourselves back to this station and just observing the thoughts as they come in. And we just don't jump on, their, on, that, bad, on that bandwagon. We just observe them. If it's a really good thought, it'll be there. It'll come back. If it's a great idea, it'll come back. Right. We're not going to forget it. But it's, it's that practice. because That's what it is. And like anything else in life, the more we practice it, the better that we become at it. Right. What is your routine? Do you meditate every day? Do you do, how often do you do breath work? How often do you recommend breath work? It depends. And again, that's the, the, the intense, powerful breath work that we're talking about. You know, when I do a weekend retreat, we do it four times, starting Thursday night and the last one on Sunday. But, it, you know, that's a contained space dedicated for that. It's really powerful. So the most I ever did it was every day for two weeks. Oh, okay. And again, I, I, was, I was in an ashram, you know, so I didn't have to like put on a suit and go, get up and take public transportation or drive myself to work. Right. I was working, but in a contained setting too, dedicated for that kind of thing. By the end of the two weeks, I was in a great space, kind of a la-la space, but it was hard to function. It was, I was a bit ungrounded. So I would say once a week in the beginning, then you have to do it less. Like, right. If at the same time, we're learning how not to suppress our emotions and how to communicate them gracefully in a way that they can be heard and received, not just dumping them on the other person like a two-year-old having right. a tantrum. There is an end to the crap that we have suppressed. 
Right. So, so these days when, when I do a, a breathwork session, it's like, I'm not having, you know, a lot of emotional releases like I used to in the beginning. And like most people do for me now, it's more of like a centering thing, a coming back to center thing. It's a practice uh, that always, always gives me more perspective, uh, more clarity. It, it brings me that sense of connectedness to myself, to something greater than myself. But the benefit of having done it so long is that my body's very trained so that a lot of times I'll wake up in the middle of the night and, and you know, have to go to the bathroom or something and, and notice that my body's been doing that circular connected breathing on its own. So it's a great practice. Do you it's, breathe in through your nose? How do you, what you, this, you were talking in the TED talk through your mouth, but. Yeah, this particular modality is through the mouth. You can actually do it through the nose also, but this particular and many different yoga practices and breathing practices, you know, sometimes it's nose, sometimes it's in one nostril, down the other one. This one is in and out the mouth, not alternating between nose and mouth. And I recommend the mouth because it is so much bigger. So you tend to have a much more powerful experience. As we're going through the day to day, it's not, it's better to do nose breathing than, than mouth breathing. But for this particular dedicated practice, I find the mouth to be more powerful. And you do it for how long? In like when you could do it an hour, an hour okay. and a half. Some modalities okay. go longer. You know, some modalities go three, four hours. Um, oh my gosh. I know, I know. And even an hour, an hour and a half can seem like, like to for you know our ADD society is like, oh my God, I could never do that. But one of the things that happens as we were talking about earlier, we pop out of the ego mind, which is where time exists. Right. So 99% of the time, people will tell you, well, I can't believe that was an hour and an hour and a half. I thought it was 10 minutes. We pop out of time. Right. How do you describe time? <laughs> That's a bit of my, above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I know that. that you know, I love so asking that question because I'm always so curious. I know scientists tell us, you know, uh, that time is an illusion and that space is an illusion. But to ask me to explain it beyond that. <laughs> above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people that we talk about time and I just have always, I've evolved. I for <laughs> sure have learned and have evolved my mind and expanded <laughs> my thinking, but it's just sometimes hard to grasp, you know, it when we're living in this human linear life. It is hard to grasp. And, you know, with practices like breath work, uh, people have a sense of that. You know, hmm. People have like, I remember the first time that I had that experience of, you know, what they call unitary consciousness of not feeling separate, a separate identity, but feeling at one with hmm. all creation. And one thing is, you know, having read about that, another one is feeling it and experience it in oh, my sure. body and my wow. cells and it's a game changer, it changes everything. Right. And, when and you... then you also realize the illusion of time, but don't ask me to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, I just have loved reading your book and meeting you and listening to your wisdom. You look in your eyes, you know, and I see this like deep soul that wants to do something for humanity and help people. And you just have that energy and it's beautiful. Thank you so much. I walk my talk. That's what I, I take credit for that. I walk my talk. Everything that I write about and teach is stuff that I've experienced and, and tested out myself. Yes. And always mindful. You know, even though I've been doing this for 33 years, I can spot the ego a mile away. 
and nip it at the bud before I go into that reaction and regret mode. Seldom, seldom does that happen. But I still am rigorous. I'm always mindful of that. I'm always making sure that I'm not coming from a place of ego. And so thank you so much for that beautiful mirroring. That's very moving. And thank you. Thank you not only for having me on, but for having the show. You know, thank you for answering your own call in, in the pandemic to do something new and fresh and different. And yeah. your willingness to say yes to that, like many lives are being touched and impacted. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And I love it. And <laughs> it's definitely become my passion for Good. sure. Yeah, love it. Just even getting a book from you and learning about you, would I have ever, you know, you just, I just know people have come into my path from this podcast journey and think, gosh, I'm so grateful. Talk about grateful because you talk about gratitude in your, in a video that I was watching because I'm so much, talk about as a mother teaching children about gratitude. That's a one week in my class that I teach (laughs) gratitude. And I, it is so important to me especially to teach kids that these days when their minds are in the phones and in the technology and, you know, not up and looking at the things that they're grateful for and explaining the benefit of what it does for you. But you, that's a big belief for you too, right? I believe it's a state of grace to be in a place of gratitude. In fact, in Spanish, my original language, gracias means both thank you and grace. And you, know, you you can't be in fear. You can't be in anger and be in gratitude at the same time. Right. And it's a practice that, again, is not difficult. It just takes discipline and the choice to do so. But if anybody, I mean, like gratitude practice, just simple, right? Three things you're grateful for every day for a month. It'll change your life. Right. It'll shift oh, your focus. For sure. The girls have gratitude journals since they were, before they could even write. And they That's draw crazy. pictures. Yes, they would have to do stick figures of what they were happy for, what they're grateful for. But we, you know, we have them still in a shelf, like in this closet right here that we've had from since they were little. But, you know, that was a part of our morning routine. They'd write three things they were grateful for, sometimes more. But um, that. that was a muscle that I wanted to create in them. So they realized the, 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 what it does for, you know, just being grateful. And it, you know, you think of, Uh, I always talk about vibration and being happy and finding something so that your energy is people are going to be like at school, what are you doing? Like, (laughs) What did you do this morning that you're so happy for? You know, like that's the reputation you want at school. Yes. Yes. You know, you want to be that where people, the thermostat, right? The ones that, that raise the energy, the people that draw, come to you, they have to come to your level. Exactly. You know, I've thought of this a couple of times as you were speaking today, and I didn't want to say it because my mom just passed a month and a half ago. And my yeah. mom was like, I mean, I love my mom. She's the one who taught me how to love. Mm. So, so that pretty much says it all, because I think that's my greatest gift is, is my ability to love uh, and the depth of my capacity to love. But I didn't get that from my mom. No, different generation for sure. Yeah. But what I would have given to have a mom that would have taught me those skills that you're teaching your daughters. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Oh, yeah. I just, gosh, I think being an older parent, you know, I didn't have them till I was almost, you know, almost 40 and 40. I had all those years of knowing, you know, just even the four agreements, reading that book when I was probably in my thirties, thinking when I have kids, they're going to be reading this with me in bed. Yeah 
before they even could read, (laughs) you know, but I just, I just really like, I knew what I didn't have, you know, what you don't have. Exactly. You need to f- stop the hamster wheel and put the, yes. the the spoke in the tire and stop the wheel from moving. Yes. I just had to be that spoke, that that stick that went in that tire. And I really knew those little things that come out through me that aren't mine, but they are my little gift for this time of no. their childhood to embrace, not only embrace and love them so much, but to teach them these tools that will, when I know when Paige is after next year goes to college or whatever she chooses to do, I have the confidence in her and she has a confidence because she has those tools that will guide her and she won't, she'll, she'll know her values. She knows the, dis- I mean, just right there is your GPS system, right? Like I say, it's like your internal GPS system page. Yes. You got it. You're giving them priceless stuff. Just like the stuff that we really do need to navigate life. Right. Uh, and that is beautiful because then they're going to also pass it on, not only to their own kids, but to their friends and their generation. And so that gives me hope for, for <laughs> right. humanity. Right. It you. just takes one, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, exactly. So how can we find you, your website, Soulful? Tell us how to find you. Yeah, the book is available wherever books are are sold. So you can get it, you can order it at your local bookstore if you want to support them. You can get it on Amazon. In terms of reaching me, probably the website's the best way. And then they can get my social media from there. And that's soulfulpower.com. S-O-U-L-F-U-L, power, P-O-W-E-R.com. And for anybody watching this who goes to my website and gets on my email list, and we we know how easy it is to click unsubscribe if it doesn't work for you. And I'm not going to take it personally, I promise. (laughs) But anybody who does register for my email list will send them a sample chapter of the book, uh, which is one that talks about what it means to live heroically in the 21st century. We'll send them some power practices designed to integrate the teachings so that they don't stay at the level of information. You and I know we don't need more information. We've got information overload. What we need is transformation. And that only comes from really living and taking on a set of teachings. And then we'll send them a guided meditation that I created in the midst of the pandemic. And it talks about or guides people to get to that place of trust and and in in the midst of chaos. Like how do we be that eye of the storm when there's chaos all around us? Mm-hmm. I love it. Everything about you. <laughs> Thank anyway, you, Ashley. It's been fun spending this hour together. I appreciate you. Me I'm grateful too. for you. Me too. I've and I look really forward to watching. You and, and thank you for you. Thank you. Grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget, always look for the magic.